Welcome to another exciting real interview with Real Nerds Podcast and our score from Denver Comic Con 2012. We went to Mile High Comics auction the night before, and Michael Uslin, who's the executive producer of Batman's for 30-odd years, was there signing his book called The Boy Who Loved Batman. And me and Brad both wanted the book, and he was he was signing it, and I said, hey, Brad, we should get him on the show. And Brad said, oh, he won't do it. He won't do it. So I, I walked up to him, and I said, hey, Mr. Uslin, do you want to help out a local nobody podcast? And he said, yeah, I'd love to. Just grab me during the show on Saturday, and I'll sit down and interview with you guys I'm like yeah right he won't sit down and interview with us it's not gonna happen and he did he actually me and brad went to his panel that he was doing but before it was like a panel on web comics or something i don't even remember because it was boring and we were sitting there and in walked michael uslin with his really cool batman jacket and he sat down right next to me and brad and he said hey real nerds i'm doing your podcast after my panel right and my nerdiness went ee! And he did. And here is the interview with Michael Uslin. It's really fun. Enjoy. Good? How close do you know, do I have to have it? That's okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I am Ryan from Real Nerds. Brad is right there. We are with Michael Uslin, amazing producer of Batman. And I also think that you have made comic book movies what they are today because of what you did. And what you describe in your book, The Boy Who Loved Batman, um, we've read it. It's amazing. Um, do you want to tell everybody what the book is about? And Yeah, yeah. Well, th first of all, thank you guys very much. I do appreciate that. Uh, I've got One of the great kicks I've gotten uh, in recent years uh, has come off the Internet, where all of a sudden all these sites are calling me the godfather of comic book movies. <laughs> <laughs> now, coming from North Jersey, I can really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. In it fact, really for, for a number of years, when I would go to the studio lot and I would pull up to the security gate, and they would see my car had jersey plates. It was the only car they never opened the trunk. They didn't want to know what was in my <laughs> trunk. Um, yeah, I wrote The Boy Who Loved Batman. It's my memoir. It's my autobiography. And I was the ultimate comic book fanboy geek growing up. Something that I think so many people can identify <laughs> yeah. with. My hope is that every guy who reads this book will say, oh, wait a minute, I'm the boy who loved Batman. <laughs> yeah. You know what's great about your book is as we read it, you're like, "That's I do do that. You know, it's, it's great. Yeah, oh, thanks. So, yeah. Well, for me, it was, it was, it's a little bit different because I grew up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. So um, my era was a little bit different, but, the, but what drove all of us fanboys and collectors was is all really the same passion and it's about passion this is a book that details my love of comic books how my collection grew ultimately to way over 50,000 comic books dating back to 1936 um, 45,000 of which by the way I've now donated to Indiana University's Lilly Library oh very nice so that scholars fans uh, academicians would be able to access it and use it in the f many many decades to come um, but what do you do when you have a dream? My dream was after watching in eighth grade the Batman TV show come on the air and see the whole world start laughing at my poor Batman, <laughs> was to find a way to show the world through movies what the true Batman was. The guy created in 1939 by Bob Kane and Bill Finger and then expanded by Jerry Robinson the creature of the night who stalked criminals from the shadows, the villains who were homicidal maniacs and severely deranged. And um, that to me was far more interesting 
than a pot-bellied Batman with pow zaps and whams. <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted to change his perception worldwide. And that really became the dream that I set out starting in about seventh, eighth grade to, per, to pursue. Wow. That, and it was a really hard thing for you to do. I mean, you've, you said in the panel today that it took you 10 years to convince people that you could make a dark Batman and not only make it, but make it good and make people accept it. And uh, I mean, how was that experience for you? Was it challenging or was it rewarding when it finally paid off? Um, have you ever been hung upside down by your ankles for 10 years? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> okay, well, then you can't imagine what no, it was I can't. like <laughs> for 10 years. Every studio turned me down. They all said I was crazy. It was the worst idea they ever heard. They said, Michael, you can't do serious comic book movies. You cannot do dark superheroes. You cannot make a movie out of an old television series. It had never been done. So it was nothing but years and years of doors slamming in my face. And then trying to persevere. You try to maintain a high threshold for frustration. And the key is to knock on doors. Mm -hmm. So as I say in a lot of my, I, I speak a lot at universities. And as I tell all of the students, the only thing I could promise any student graduating college is that doors are going to slam in your face, for sure. And when they do, you really only have two choices. You can go home and cry about it. Or you can pick yourself up, dust yourself off, go back and knock again. And this Batman Dark franchise of movies was built on my bleeding knuckles over that 10-year period. And um, a lot of people ask me, well, what's the, what's the magic? What is it about good timing and good luck in things like this? I said, well, really, if you keep knocking on doors until your knuckles bleed, at some point in time, you will knock on the right door at the right time. And there's your good timing. There's your good luck. The secret is, the magic is that there is no magic. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people don't know, and if you, they pick up your book, they'll learn about you, is your passion for Batman is amazing. And even when you read the book, you laugh out loud when you read it because there's great stories about Billy getting his comic books burned because of the seduction of the innocent. And I just love reading that stuff because, I mean, you were in a time where comic books were the worst thing that could possibly happen to children. And for you to persevere and make it your life's mission, I think is everybody's geek fantasy where you said, no, Batman's this way and I'm going to make sure he's this way. And I mean, that's a testament to your passion and your heart. And I mean, that's just amazing to me. I was lucky enough to have an amazing mom. When Seduction of the Innocent came out, there were comic book burnings going around in the United States. Most of all my friends were not allowed to bring a comic book into their homes. A lot of them were then given away by parents to paper drives or they were burned. And my mom made me a deal. She said that if I kept my comic books neat, and if I agreed that I would read other things like newspapers, magazines, and books, I could keep my comic book collection. So I kept everything. I was one of the few people that ever did. It was the best deal I ever made in my life. That's awesome. Um, Brad, go. I'm sorry, Brad. It's cool you kept that uh, the Joker sketch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the Joker sketch. And how did you, what did you see in Nicholson that you knew that he would be the Joker? Because he just, because in The Shining, he upped the homicidal part of him and... I hadn't even seen The Shining You yet. just saw the picture? All I saw was that, that here's Johnny shot. I mean, look into his eyes and his face peering around that doorway. And I'm sitting on this, I'm trapped on a bus in New York City, just beginning to pull out to head to New Jersey as I'm looking at this in the newspaper. And I couldn't even contain my excitement. That is amazing. It was like the longest bus ride 
to get to my house in New Jersey, <laughs> where I tore out this picture from the New York Post, and I whited out Jack Nicholson's face with whiteout, and I redid his lips with red ink, and I redid his hair, and then that became what I showed everybody at the studio. That's amazing. Everybody connected to the movie as to why Jack Nicholson was the only actor who could play the Joker at that time, at yeah. that era. And I passionately believed in that. And when Jack was hired, it was truly one of the great days of my career. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Okay, uh, I know you're short on time, but I have one Dark Knight Rises question. And no spoilers. We don't want it spoiled. Um, but what was the thinking behind Nolan bringing Bane into the series as an adversary? Because you mentioned earlier that, you know, the Joker that's in Nolan's could be a modern-day terrorist. And what was the thinking behind having him come in and being part of the universe? Well, the first thing you have to do is accept the principle that Christopher Nolan is a genius. I do. <laughs> and he has proven time and again now how he has an understanding of Batman. He has a passion for Batman. He has a vision for Batman, and he knows how to execute that vision. So what you need to do is step back and allow the genius at work <laughs> to do his thing. And whether it's bringing in somebody so psychologically damaged like the Joker mentally or somebody like Bane that represents a pure physical force unlike anything Batman has come up against as a balance almost to what we have seen before with the Joker is very fascinating and interesting and that's just something that I bring from my perspective I'm not talking for Chris at all um, but he deserves all the glory all the accolades uh, all the credit for what's happened here and the what is now going to be the conclusion of his trilogy. Awesome. Um, can you do one more question? Yeah. Brad, you have one question. Brad is a huge Batman fan, and I want to see if he has a question for you. You put me on the spot there, but I, I, was, I was just going to uh, throw it at your way about you not only made Batman movies, but you also got to write some of the books. So you want to tell us about your experience Getting yeah. to do something so amazing like that. I can, I can do I'll tell you about three things, sort of. Um, <laughs> one, of course, was when I was eight years old, all I wanted to do was write Batman comics. And then that dream actually came true while I was in college. And um, I had written a script for the Shadow comic book. And Julie Schwartz, who was the editor of the Batman line of books, and I believe, Stanley aside, was the most important editor in the history of comics, Great. who shepherded the entire Silver Age of comics with the new Flash and Green Lantern and Justice League and Hawkman and Adam, and the list goes on and yeah. on and on, <laughs> that Julie came to me and he said uh, that he had read my shadow script and said, you know, kid, it didn't stink. <laughs> and I said, oh, thank you so much, Julie. I really appreciate that. And then he said, how'd you like to write Batman? And then my buddy Bob Rosakis and I had a chance to write Batman for, in Detective Comics. And, uh, you know, it, it, when the issue came out, it, I was, like, in tears. I, mean, uh, I was just in tears. But then I realized this dream I had since I was eight years old had come true, and I needed another dream. <laughs> and that's when, ten minutes later, it dawned on me, I needed to go back to that night in 1966 when I saw the TV show premiere and remembered my vow to show <laughs> the world what the true, dark, and serious Batman looked like. The guy who was created in 1939 by Bob Kane and Bill Finger as a creature of the night. Awesome. And you can read all about that in your amazing book, The Boy Who Loved Batman. I mean, not only is the book really fun, but you have great pictures in there, and it's funny. And we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brad. Oh, Brad has one more. Have you approached Christopher Nolan about uh, possibly adapting the cricket 
<laughs> I think I'll save the cricket for um, uh, maybe Spielberg. Give, give the poor guy one shot at doing a good superhero movie. Um, but, you know, one of the other things I had a chance to write was a Batman graphic novel called Detective Number 27. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most rewarding experiences I ever had writing comics. Um, I spent six months researching the history because I wanted to write it like The Alienist or Carter Beats the Devil or Ragtime and have Bruce Wayne involved in real situations in history with people who really lived and create a wow. new kind of Batman adventure whereby at the last second, Bruce Wayne, as he's sitting in his father's study and he's about to go, criminals are a superstitious, cowardly lot. I must be a creature of the night, something black, something terrible. And then the doorbell rings and he closes the window, goes to leave the room and smash. There's the, uh, the glass shatters and he goes, stupid bird. And he flips off the light and walks out. <laughs> and from that point on, everything changes. And Bruce winds up becoming a member of a secret society of detectives. And nobody used their names. It was only numbers. And he became detective number oh, 27. Amazing. So that was great. Last thing, which I am not allowed to talk about, I have written the first issue of something new that's going to be coming out regarding Batman, and I can say no more about that. Well, awesome. Um, <laughs> time will tell. Awesome. Thank you so much. I mean, this is a huge honor because, like I said, you said it. You're the godfather of modern comic book movies. We won't have anything without you. Uh, thanks, guys. Oh, wait. Uh, can you do one more question? It What's just that? hit me. What's that? I'm sorry. I know I'm totally taking your time. Spider-Man is my favorite hero, and you collected so many comics. What's your favorite Spider-Man comic? My favorite Spider-Man comic was issues 17, 18, and 19, with, which went into the end of Spider-Man and Spidey Strikes Back yep. when, when Steve Ditko was still doing it. I just couldn't wait for every next issue to come out, not knowing if this was really going to be the end of Spider-Man. This was in the days before superheroes got killed every year yep. and you know That's gave awesome. up their careers and stuff. So. It was so exciting at the time. Yeah, sorry to geek out there for a second. I know you're really busy, so thank you for spending time with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Good luck to you guys. Thank you. Don't forget, July 20th, there's a movie oh. coming out. Oh, you know what? On July 20th, we already got our tickets to see it in IMAX. We will IMAX. be there in real IMAX. Fantastic. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Thank you, Michael Huseland, for sitting down with us. It was really cool that you did that. and. It gave us the confidence to ask everybody else to be on our show. I really appreciate it. Thank you.